I was thinking today, everybody from time to time needs a new pair of shoes. And so tonight, I want to tell you about a pair of shoes that you need to have. These shoes that I'm going to be describing tonight, they never get old. They never go out of style. They're not expensive. In fact, they're completely free. But if you will wear the shoes that we're going to be thinking about tonight, your life will make a difference in the lives of everyone with whom you come into contact. And these are called the Shoes of Peace. And we read about these in Ephesians chapter number 6. So if you'll open your Bibles tonight to Ephesians 6, we're picking up our study on the... uh, The armor of God, we're thinking about spiritual warfare, and we have seen already that Paul says if we are going to engage in this battle, this spiritual warfare with the devil, we're already in it, but if we're going to have victory over him, then we're going to have to be dressed for the battle. We're going to have to have on the armor of God. Now remember what I've said before, Paul wrote Ephesians from a Roman prison, and as he was in that prison cell, he was always he could see a Roman guard because the guard was there to watch after Paul make sure he didn't escape. Well, the Roman guard had on his Roman attire. He had on his armor. And so Paul, as he looked at that armor, received a word of inspiration from God, and God said to Paul, Paul, just like that Roman soldier has on his armor so he's ready for battle, you need to have on the armor of God so that you'll be ready for the spiritual battle that you're in against the devil each and every day. And Paul lists six pieces to this armor. And we read it first in verse number 14. Ephesians 6 in verse 14. Paul said, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so I'm just calling these shoes of peace. Now, those Roman soldiers, they would, when they were getting ready to go out to battle, they would have put on a pair of strong sandals or maybe even a pair of boots. And on the bottom of those shoes, there would have been some hobnails that would have been put in there in such a way that it would kind of like cleats on, on a football player's shoes. It helped those soldiers have traction when they were out there in that rough terrain. And so Paul was looking at the shoes, maybe the boots of this soldier, and he thought, as Christians, we need the same thing. We need to have the right shoes on. Now, what do shoes do? Shoes take us places. When we put our shoes on, it says we're leaving the house. We're going somewhere. And Paul said, our shoes as Christians are the shoes of peace so that every morning when you get dressed and you, like I've got slip-ons on tonight, when you slip these on or you lace up your shoes so that every day when you put your shoes on, mentally you could go to this image and you could say, God, just like I'm putting on my shoes today, spiritually I want to put on the shoes of peace So that as I go out into the day, so as I interact with others, so that as I'm with my family, so that as I, when I'm at work, I'm in the community, that where everywhere I go, I will be an emissary of peace. I will carry with me peace. No no matter if I walk in somebody's office, when I walk in there, I want to carry peace, the gospel of peace, so that my presence would remind them of God and that it would bring peace to their hearts, and to their situation. And so today, as I was thinking about what would be the best way for us to think about the shoes of peace, what I've done for tonight is I have an acrostic for you, and I'm using the word peace, P-E-A-C-E. 
E. And you might want to just write that in your notes vertically. And then I want to give you a phrase, really it's two words for each of those letters that help us to understand what the shoes of peace are like. Wouldn't it be wonderful tomorrow if you get up, you get dressed, you're putting on your shoes, and you could remember this sermon tonight, and you could, even if you don't remember all five of these points, if you could just remember peace, and if you could just say, God, as I go out into the day today, I know I'm going to be in some situations, maybe a meeting that's tense, or maybe a situation that's stressful. God, maybe somebody today will uh, do something to rub me the wrong way, but today, God, help me all day long to walk in the shoes of peace so that I can bring peace, the peace of God, your peace to every situation. So let's just, let me, let's, de- let's use this acrostic and let's try to develop exactly what that looks like, what is required. If we're going to have the shoes of peace on, what's it going to be like? First of all, that the P stands for a peaceful heart. You can't carry peace to others if you don't have peace yourself. You can't bring peace into an office if you don't walk into that office with peace. And so the first thing you need is a peaceful heart. Now let's think about what that means, a peaceful heart. First of all, a peaceful heart is a heart that is at peace with God, right? In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul said, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. God. And so the first requirement to having a peaceful heart is to be at peace with God. It is to be saved. It is to know that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home, that there's nothing between you and God, that at the end of the day, God is your Father, Jesus is your Savior, and so you're at peace with God. But then we need to be at peace with ourselves. I think there are a lot of people who are at peace with God. They're saved, but they're not really at peace with themselves. They don't like themselves. There's something about their lives that they wish they could change. And I heard last week, and I know I've been using Barbara Bush a lot, in a lot of my sermons recently is in, is in a lot of illustrations. Well, here's another one tonight. She said several years ago that she always felt like that every human being had a fundamental choice that he or she had to make in life. And here was the choice. They could either like their life or they could dislike their life. They could either make a decision to like the life that God has given them, or they could say, look at what's happened to me, look at what I've been through, look at what I'm facing, I don't like my life. And she said, depending on which decision you make, is going to determine your attitude and how you live your life. And she made a decision way back there that she was going to enjoy her life. And so we want to be at peace, not only with God, but we want to be at peace with ourselves, to be comfortable in our own shoes, not to try to be somebody else, or not to say, if this thing in my life were different, or if I could change these three things, or, you know, if I did something different, then I would be happy. No, a peaceful heart is a heart that is at peace with him or herself. And then we want to be at peace with others. Let me give you a scripture verse to write down. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, the Bible says, Pursue peace with all people. Say that with me. Pursue peace with all people. And so we need to be at peace with others. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul said, If if possible, as much as it depends on you, Live at peace with all people. In other words, what he's saying, if possible, and as much as it depends on you, sometimes it's not possible because sometimes somebody doesn't want to be at peace with you. And so the relationship may not always be restored. But you can be at peace with a person who's not at peace with you. Just because somebody might not like you, that doesn't mean that you, don't have to, you, you, you shouldn't like them. If they don't love you, doesn't stop you from loving them. And so we want to be at peace with God. We want to be at peace with ourselves. And we want to be at peace 
with others. Now, as I was thinking about this today, I thought, you know, really, as we think about that, there's a little phrase that we could add to each one of those descriptions of peace that will help us to do that. First of all, when it comes to being at peace with God, someone says, how can I be at peace with God? Here's how you can be at peace with God. You can say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Having been justified by faith, Paul said, we have peace with God. And so when we trust God, we're at peace with God. How can we be at peace with ourselves? We have to, there's another little phrase we have to learn to say. We have to say, I accept it. I accept it. God, I accept this thing in my life that I wish were different, that I wish I could change, that if I could change it, I would change it, but I can't change it. And so instead of fighting that and being unhappy, I'm making a decision to accept it and to be happy, and so I'm accepting these things that I cannot change. What does the, uh, the prayer, God, the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And sometimes in life, there are things we can change, and we should. Sometimes in life, there are things we can't change, and we have to accept it. So God, grant me the serenity to accept those things I cannot change. So to be at peace with ourselves, we have to say to God, God, I accept this thing in my life that I don't necessarily like, but I just accept it. And then we have to be at peace with others. And how can we be at peace with others? How can I be at peace with you? How can you be at peace with me or with the person sitting next to you or somebody in your family? What's the phrase for that? This may be the hardest of all. Now remember, to be at peace with God, we say, God, I trust you. To be at peace with ourselves, we say, I accept this thing in my life that I wish were different. But how can we be at peace with each other? We have to learn to say this, I'm sorry. And that sometimes is very hard to do. Do you remember Happy Days back in the 70s? And then we'll go back in time a little bit. And the star of that show was Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz. And Fonz was known for driving, riding his motorcycle and wearing a leather jacket. And he was known for having a hard time saying he was sorry. And sometimes when he was trying to say his sorry, he would say, I'm And he could barely get it out. And then finally he would say, I'm sorry. And sometimes those two words are hard for us to get out of our mouth. But if we're going to be at peace with others, what does the Scripture say? Pursue peace with all people. We have to say we're sorry. We have to admit we were wrong. Because who of us has, is not wrong sometimes? We're not always right. I've told you before of the... Uh, I've had to do this a lot of times in my life. Sometimes I still have to do it. I've told you before about the experience I had years ago when a friend of mine was painting my house. And... I wanted to paint another room in my house that had not been included in the original quote. And looking back on it, he was right and I was wrong. And, and today, I would not do what I did back then. But back then, this is, I, thought, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I said, hey, I'm thinking about painting this room here. I know that wasn't in the original quote. And I said, I'll, I certainly want to pay you more, which I should have. I should have just said to him, what will you charge me to paint this room? And he told me a price. I said, I'll pay it. But I was being too cheap. And I said to him, I said, hey, would you paint this room for $50? And he, it wasn't a big room. It was the, four, the entryway in my house. And he said this to me. He said, John, you nick, you're trying to nickel and dime me to death. And when he said that, I said something back to him that, that wasn't nice. And uh, in fact, what I said to him was terribly rude. What I said to him, and I'm embarrassed to tell you what I said to him, but what I said to him was, well, maybe I should have just got somebody else to paint my house. 
We've been friends for 10 years when I said, I thought he was rude when he said, you're nickel and diamond me. I thought $50 was a generous offer, but I didn't, I didn't do it right. And so we kind of had words like that. And I left my house and came to church. And I was studying for a sermon. This was on a Thursday. That used to be my main study day. And I was studying for my Sunday night sermon. And I sat down. I got my Bible. I got my books. And I said, now, Lord, help me have a good, show me what to preach. And God said, you don't have anything to say to the people till you go back home and apologize to the painter. And I drove back home and walked in that house. And I said, I said to him, I said, look, I was rude to you. I never should have said that. I don't want anybody else to paint my house. I want you to paint my house, and I'm sorry. And he said, oh, John, I'm sorry I was rude to you. And there we were in the front yard hugging each other. I hope nobody drove by and wondered <laughs> what's happening over there at John's house. But I'm just being honest. I was rude to him, and I owed him an apology. And he apologized to me. I don't even think he was rude to me. I, didn't, I don't think at that time I understood exactly on the business part of it. I just trying to get it done for the cheapest price I could. But... I had to go back and say, I'm sorry, and he and I are still friends today, and his wife, we're all friends, but we wouldn't be if I wouldn't have had to go back and say, I'm sorry. And so sometimes it's not an easy thing to do, but we have to say, I'm sorry. I've always felt like this in life. If, if a relationship has been strained in any way, now, if you've, if you, many times you've got to do what I did. You've got to go back to the person and say you're sorry, but even if you've already done that, or maybe if circumstances won't allow you to do that for whatever reason, it's, I've always thought it's good to just try to send good vibes to people that may not be good, on, you know, they may be upset with you about something. Or, you know, just send out peace offerings. I'll give you an example of this. A few, last month, I preached back in East Texas at the church where I had grown up. And after the service, after, between services, between the two morning services, I was just talking to people I've known for all these years and one of the men who came through the line was a guy named coach Bland Conley Bland he was one of my high school football coaches and he and his wife Shirley came through the line and we were just talking and I said coach how you been he just looked fantastic both of them did and I said we had some good times back there in the day playing all those ball games and doing all that he said we did and I asked him I said do you stay in touch with coach Smith my defensive coordinator, when I was playing ball in high school, was named V.T. Smith. And we never knew what V.T. stood for, so we just said it stood for very tough because he was a very tough coach. And we were taught, and I said, Do you, is, I said, the last I heard, he was living in Bonham, Texas, but I don't, I've lost touch. I haven't talked to Coach Smith in 30 years. He said, well, he's moved from Bonham, and he's, I think he said he's in the Dallas area somewhere. And uh, I said, well, how's he doing? And he said, well, he's doing, he's doing pretty good. He said, I said, do you stay in touch? He said, we do stay in touch. I said, do me a favor. The next time you talk to Coach Smith, tell him I said hello. And I said, tell him I'm sorry for all those days in practice when I had a bad attitude. Now, Coach Smith was a fine football coach, but the reason we called him very tough, he was one of those coaches who knew how to push your buttons. And he was one of those coaches who knew what to say to get you mad so you would go out there and play better. If you've ever played football, you know that's how coaches work. And looking back on it, it seemed like what the coaches were doing, they were getting all of us mad during practice. And the madder we got, the harder we hit each other. And I used to think, well, maybe they, the coaches should put on the pads and let us hit them because they're just making us hit each other. But I can remember some days back then, 17, 18 years old, 
more testosterone than, than uh, spiritual maturity, getting a bad attitude, being rude to him. And I said, Coach Bland, when you talk to Coach Smith again, you tell him I'm sorry for all those days. No, I didn't have, not, it wasn't every day, but there were, I had my moments. I said, you tell him I'm sorry for those days I had a bad attitude in practice. And he just kind of laughed. And when he laughed, I said, well, when you tell Coach Smith that, that he's probably going to laugh too because he's going to know what you're talking about. Now, what was I doing? I was just sending a peace offering to a coach that I love and respect, hadn't talked to in so long, don't know his number, don't know how to get in touch with him. But I just want him to know, hey, Looking back on it, when I was a kid, there were times I didn't have the best attitude, and I'm sorry for that. So what I'm saying is, if we're going to be emissaries of peace, if you're going to walk into that co-worker's office tomorrow and bring peace to a stressful work situation, you better make sure, first of all, that you have a peaceful heart, at peace with God, at peace with yourself, and at peace with others. You agree with all that? Say amen. And then not only do we need a peaceful heart, but we need an encouraging word. And that's what the E stands for. We need to be encouragers. We need to be people who lift others up, not who tear people down. Now, you're in Ephesians 6. Go back to chapter number 4 and look in verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. I love this verse. Paul said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that, you, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, what's Paul saying? He's saying, in your conversations with other people, don't ever say anything that would pull somebody down. In other words, if you say, I, I need to say something, I want to say something to this person. This person has hurt my feelings. This person has done me wrong. This, you know, what Paul is saying, don't you be the one to go to that person and say things that are going to bring that person down. He's saying what you need to do is make sure that your words lift people up. And so we want to make sure that, that each day we have an encouraging word uh, for another person so that we can be lifters up and not terrors down. Make, we want always make our words sweet. Somebody has said we better make our words sweet because one day we may have to eat them. And so we need to make sure that we lift each other up. And that's even, I try to do that. I don't know how effective I am, but even in my preaching, I try to be a lifter up. Now, that doesn't mean we don't confront sin, because we do. And sometimes even in a private relationship, you have to con confront a sin. But even then, you can do it redemptively, and you can do it in a way that lifts people up. And uh, I remember hearing a, uh, I don't know if it was a pastor or a professor, somebody said to us in one of my training classes, said, remember, as a pastor, as a minister, you are supposed to feed the sheep. You're supposed to bless the sheep. You don't get up there and beat the sheep. You know, you, you don't take advantage of the opportunity that you're standing up there talking and they're sitting down and listening and just wallop them over the, over the head and just discourage. No, you lift, we should try, always try to use our words to lift up and to encourage. And even if somebody has sinned, they need encouragement the most. Most of the time when a person has sinned, they know that they have sinned. And so they need to be encouraged and they need to be lifted up. And if you, if you have an encouraging word every day, you should have the attitude that says, God, today I want to encourage somebody. I want to lift somebody up so that I could lift their spirits and point them to you. And then the A, what does A stand for? We need an approachable disposition. You know, some people are approachable, and some people are not approachable. 
Some people, are, and, and, and part of that is people's personality. So if, if you say, well, that person's not approachable, it just may mean that he's shy or that she's reserved. And that doesn't mean that they're rude. It just means that's their personality. So some of us are extroverts, some are introverts, and some days we're back and forth on what we are. But whatever our personality is, we need to do our best to always be approachable so that if a person has a need, that person would say, he's approachable, she's approachable, I can go to them, I can ask for prayer, they're not going to turn me away, and to have an approachable disposition. Now, when I was back in East Texas last month preaching, between the services, a man came through the line, he's in his 30s now, and he said to me, John, do you remember me? And when I first looked at him, his face looked familiar, but I've been gone from there so long, I said to him, I, I do remember you, but I can't remember, I, I can't completely remember who you are. And he said, well, my name's Josh Holland. And as soon as he said that, I remembered him. And I remembered his parents, uh, Brad and Carmen Holland. When we lived there, they were in their 20s, and Josh was their first child. And the time I was knowing Josh, he was about six or seven years of age. And he said, I have written you a letter because I didn't know how much time we would have. And he gave me the letter. And he said, but you can read the letter when you get back to your hotel. He said, but I want to tell you basically what's in that letter in a very short amount of words. And so he started telling me this story that I probably would not tell. I'm a little reluctant to tell it tonight, but Wednesday night, this is home, folks. I probably wouldn't tell this on a Sunday morning with very many visitors because I think, I think they might mishear this story and think that I was telling it to brag about myself. But after those two horrible stories I just told on myself, I need something positive, right? <laughs> kind of balance the scales here. Y'all going to walk out saying, what kind of guy is this? So anyway, he said, John, do you remember when you were in high school and you played ball? He said, do you remember how after the games I would come down on the field and talk to you? And he said, we would throw the football around for a few minutes before you had to go back to the locker room and get ready and, you know, be with the team. Because that's how it is after a football game. Your family comes on the field, some friends come down there, and the cheerleaders, everybody's down there, and then the people from the stands, and you have just a few minutes to talk. And he said, uh, do you remember that? I said, I, I do remember that. I, I said, I, had, I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but I do remember that. And he said, do you remember back in the 80s, that, and I, get, I guess the school probably still does it, just like the schools around here probably still do it. He said, do you remember there would always be a time during the game when the cheerleaders would throw these little balls into the stands? And we would all, I said, I, I, do, I do remember seeing that happen. I said, I remember all about that. He said, well, John, I want, this is the story. He said, when you, and he remembered details that I couldn't believe he would have remembered. He said, when you were a junior in high school, the first game you, start, you, played, you got to start on the varsity was your junior year. And he said, that game was in Terrell. And I said, I remember that game. And he said, well, during that game, the cheerleaders at some point threw these balls in the stands, and I caught it. And he said, I caught the ball, and after the game, I brought it down on the field. And when you and I were talking... Of course, when, you, you know, when you're, when you're in the, uh, seven years old, you look up to people who are in high school. And so he said, I remember you and I, we threw this ball around, 
And I was so excited that I was getting to throw a football with somebody who was on. He, you know, he looked at me like I would look at somebody who plays, like I would look at J.J. Watt. And so he was telling me this story. I said, please don't rush. Keep telling me all these great details. <laughs> and he said, we, threw, we played catch for a few minutes. And then he said, and I had forgotten this. He said, I asked you to sign this football. And, he's, and I'm, I, I thought, well, I bet I did. I thought I was big stuff, you know. And I said, he said, yeah, you signed it. And he said, now the signature in the last 30 years has worn off. He said, but for 30 years, I have kept this football. And he said, I'm giving it to you now. And so he returned this football to me, and I've had it in my office ever since I got back from East Texas. And it is a reminder. I have it in, in one of my bottom shelves in my, in my office. It's just a reminder when I look at it to never get so busy doing whatever I think is important that I don't have time for a kid or I don't have time for somebody. I can, remember when, I can remember when I was a teenager, my mother said to me, she said, John, and this, she, no, I wasn't thinking about being a preacher. She wasn't trying to prepare me to be a preacher. She just said this to me as a, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. She said, let me tell you something. She said, you always take time for old people and for kids. She said, because when you were a little kid, people took time for you. And when you get to be an old person, you're going to hope somebody takes time for you. And so you never be too busy for a kid, and you never be too busy for an old person. And so I have this in my office as a reminder, you know what? We should always be approachable, and we should never be so busy that if somebody has a broken heart that we can't, it doesn't mean we can solve the problem, but to try to be there, to pray for them, to help them, to listen to them as best we can. So how do we have a peaceful heart? We have to have an approachable disposition. We can't turn people off. We have to draw people in somehow as best we can. And then what does the C stand for? It stands for having a confident attitude. A confident attitude. Now, not an arrogant attitude. God hates pride, but confidence is not arrogance confidence is faith in God in fact the word confident literally means with faith that prefix c-o-n it means it means with con means with and fidence is from the word fideo and it means faith so what is conf what is a confident person it's a person who's filled with faith he has faith in God. Now, let me read you a, a verse here that I absolutely love. You can write it down. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 9, listen to what God said to Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? So God commands us uh, to be courageous. We don't have an option on that. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so we need to have confidence. If a person, if you're going to, be an ambassador of peace. If you're going to share the gospel with people, you're going to have to have confidence in God. In other words, if you are not convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is in control, and all these things, if you're kind of on the fence on all that stuff, well, how are you going to help anybody in their faith? In other words, if your faith, I'm not saying that our faith has to be perfect none of our faith is perfect but if your faith doesn't have a certain amount of confidence in it you're never going to help anybody I mean so you need to say God help me to trust you more so that I can have a confident attitude and then the E what does it stand for it stands for evangelistic zeal evangelistic zeal now I would like to show you two passages of scripture one in the Old Testament go to Isaiah chapter 52 Isaiah chapter 52 
And uh, let me show you an interesting verse. Isaiah 52. I don't hear anybody turning their Bibles. Isaiah 52. And Isaiah 52 in verse number 7. This is a very important verse. Now, as we think about the shoes of peace, we want to get up in the morning and put on these shoes of peace so that wherever we go, we can radiate the peace of God and that other people would look at us and they would say, you know what? Certainly, if they looked at me, for example, they would say, well, we know John's not perfect, but I will say this, he seems to have peace. Well, how are we going to have that peace? Well, look at Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You know what God says? God says, if you, in your own way, try to share Christ with others by being kind and being approachable and these things we're talking about tonight God says when he looks at you he sees beautiful feet and he says those feet the feet of that man the feet of that lady who are trying to share the gospel those are beautiful feet and then go to Romans chapter 10 this is a little more familiar passage of scripture but in Romans chapter 10 let me let you find it Romans chapter 10 and I never do know, uh, like when we're looking up these verses, do you prefer to look them up, or would you rather me just give you the reference and quote it or read it? Which do you prefer? Or just as the... As, which do you prefer? I ask, I should let you answer. How many of you prefer to look it up? Okay, how many prefer just to give the reference and me tell you, and you, look, and you just write down the numbers? Okay, it's a hung jury. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I guess it just depends, but I think these are good ones to look up. And I understand sometimes it's... it's I heard Rick Warren say one time that he, he timed a sermon, and in a, I think it was like a 30-minute sermon, and seven minutes were spent looking up verses. And he thought, well, maybe there's a more effective way to do that. And so but I, I don't know if he's figured it out, and I obviously haven't because I'm asking you. So sometimes it's good to look the verse up. Sometimes I can just give you the reference. But in Romans 10, 13, look to this. It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him or of him they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So he's quoting Isaiah 52, that if we share Christ, we have uh, beautiful feet in God's eyes. You see, shoes, think about this. When you put your shoes on in the morning, it's implying that you're going to leave the house, right? You're going somewhere. So when it says that we're to have on the shoes of the gospel of peace, what is he saying? He's saying we have a responsibility to intentionally and to strategically go to others and share Christ with them. Now, if you get up in the morning and put on your house shoes, you're going to just stay in the house all day. And I guess your attitude could be, well, if somebody comes by and asks me about God, I'll tell them. But Paul didn't say put on the house shoes. of He said put on the shoes. In other words, you put your shoes on because you're going to leave the house. You're going to go out into the day. And so what do we need? We need that evangelistic zeal. I read a great quote today by a man named Warren Wearsby, who is a, he's a world-renowned New Testament scholar, and he said this, the most victorious Christian 
is a witnessing Christian. Listen to that. The most victorious Christian is a witnessing Christian. And so we need to have that evangelistic zeal. So look back at that acrostic. Let's just close, close it out now. If we're going to wear the shoes of peace tomorrow when you go to work, tonight when you go home and uh, watch the ball game or have a late meal with your family or you know you get in the conversation about money with your spouse or something that could that could be tense you say you know what I don't want to add fire fuel to this fire I want to be a peacemaker well you got to have a peaceful heart you've got to use some encouraging words you've got to have an approachable disposition you've got to have a confident attitude not arrogant but confident and you've got to have and evangelistic zeal. Now, before I came out here tonight, I was just reviewing that in my mind. And I thought, here we are on Wednesday night. This is the core group, and we're studying tonight about the shoes of peace. What, the, what Paul was really saying is, if you're going to have victory in the spiritual war that you're in, one of the things you're going to have to do is to learn to be a soul winner. What does it say in Proverbs? He who wins souls is wise. So in other words, if we're not endeavoring to lead people to Christ, we're not even doing the primary thing that Jesus has commanded us to do in the Great Commission, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, if we're not even trying to do the main thing, how can we expect to have victory in the battle? That, this is our main responsibility. So when we talk about the shoes of peace, we don't think of that like next week we're going to be talking about the shield of faith. And I can guarantee you that'll be my favorite sermon, talking about how the devil tries to shoot those fiery darts at us and we have to take the shield of faith to quench the dart. I think we all naturally like sermons like that. Here's the, the dart of fear, guilt, or all these things. And how, we, how do we get that shield of faith so that, so that we don't get knocked down by, by those darts? Well, that, that's an important sermon too. But tonight, the shoes of peace... We don't get as excited about the shoes of peace as we do the shield of faith or maybe the helmet of salvation when I'll talk about how we have to guard our thoughts. Those things are just so practical and so easily applied. But tonight, the shoes of peace, because the shoes of peace really means that we're endeavoring to be soul winners. We are endeavoring to bring people to Jesus Christ now. Before I came out here tonight, I don't know if it was God that dropped this thought in my mind or if I just thought it up. More than likely, it was God who sent it down more than me thinking it up. But here was, whatever the source of it, here was the thought. And this is my challenge as I end this sermon tonight. Here we are on Wednesday night. Now we've got the rest of this night, all day tomorrow, all day Friday, and all day Saturday. Here's the challenge. And I want to say this soft enough. I want to say it strong enough to, for it to be a challenge. But I want to say it soft enough to give you some breathing room in there. I think God would be pleased if in these next three days, if we attempted to share Christ with somebody. Now you say, well, how come you throw that part in there about attempted? Because it may not be possible. In other words, you may not, in fairness to you, you may not have an opportunity in the next three days to share Christ. I think all of us will have an opportunity in the next three days to invite somebody to church. 
So if, I, if that were the challenge, I would say in the next three days, let's all make a commitment. We're going to invite somebody to church. We can all do that. It may be that when we invite somebody to church, we see this person is receptive. This person is letting me have a conversation with them about something spiritual like going to church. And so what I'm going to do now is try to take another step and not just talk to them about church, but to share Christ with them, to share the gospel. Now remember, if you're saved, you know the gospel. You know the gospel. The good news that God loves you, that Jesus died on that cross for you and paid for your sins, and that if you'll receive him by faith, you can be saved. That's the gospel. The word gospel just means good news. What I'm saying is, in the next three days, if God gives us an opportunity, and we're going to be trying, we're putting our shoes on, we're going out into the world, and we're endeavoring to share Christ. What I'm saying is, with our eyes wide open, we should be looking for opportunities. Now, tomorrow, I'll give you an op- some of the guys tomorrow night. Tomorrow night's the NFL draft, and that's a big deal for football fans. And I know tomorrow night there'll be a lot of guys, and probably some girls too, but I'm sure a lot of guys getting together tomorrow night. Who's, gonna be the, who's, who's Cleveland going to take in the first pick? Sam Darnold or Suckland Barkley? Who, who, who's going to be the second pick? Who are the uh, Browns going to take in the fourth pick? Who are the Texans going to take when it's their pick? Who, so the, what I'm saying is if you're around 20 guys tomorrow night, and every five minutes or eight minutes, however many minutes, Roger Goodell is coming to the microphone to say, you know, with the fifth pick in the 2018 NFL draft, the Denver Broncos select, dun, dun, you know, and then they do that. I'm saying, you got the whole first round tomorrow night. It would be a great opportunity to invite somebody to come to church. You say, well, John, we're having a party tonight, tomorrow night, about the draft, but we've only invited people from our Sunday school class. Well, it might be good to invite one or two people who are not in your Sunday school class because it might be a good opportunity to help get them plugged in into a group of Christians and into the church, over to your class, your connection group. So what I'm saying is, and I've got to, I'm, I'm getting wordy here, I'm going to stop, but the point is, in the next three days, we're going to do our dead-level best to share Christ with somebody. So tomorrow morning, when you get up, and when you put your shoes on, you're not going to remember what P, E, A, C, and E stood for. You're not going to remember all that. Hopefully you remember some of it. But you can remember... God, today I'm putting on the shoes of peace and help me today to share Christ with somebody. And all through the day, when you look down, every time you see your shoe, that's what I'm saying is, if if, and I'm going to try to do this myself from now on, every time I look at my shoe, let it be a reminder to me that the primary reason God has given me uh, shoes and the ability to move is so that we can share Christ with others. And then at night when we go home, we take our shoes off, We put our shoes in the closet. We look at those shoes. And we say, well, God, did those shoes today endeavor to bring people to Jesus? Did I use my shoes today, God, to be an emissary of peace so that I could bring calm to stressful situations? Or, God, did I use my shoes today to stir it up a little bit, throw a little fuel on the fire? So I'm encouraging all of us today. Let's put on the shoes of faith, the shoes of peace every morning. And let's share Christ with others. Amen. Father, take this simple message tonight and apply it to our hearts. God, make us soul winners. Help us to be soul winners. Help us to be conscious of the fact that every day we are around people. Some days, lots of people who don't know Christ, who've never been saved who don't go to church, who have no peace. 
And God, you have providentially placed them in our life's path so that we can encourage them, so that we can lift them up, so we can listen to them, and best of all, so that we could point them to Jesus Christ. With your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, would you pray and ask God to help you to be a soul winner? Just simple prayer. God, make me a soul winner. And God, tonight I pray you'd make me a soul winner. Renew my love for souls. God, I pray that between now and Sunday, I'd lead somebody to Jesus. I pray that specific right now. And I pray that for others in this room tonight, that between now and Sunday, they could share Christ with somebody and lead another person to Him. God, I pray that you would strike a match in our church and that you would give us a passion for people who are not saved. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen and Amen.